We write a prescription, not thinking where the idea for the medication came from in the first place, or how it made the journey to the retail market. But today, we'll find out. You are listening to Reach MDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, your host, and with us today is Katie McFarlane. Actually, I think you're, she's a doctor, as she has a PharmD after her name, and she's a president and CEO of Zintria Pharmaceutical Corporation. Welcome, Katie. Thank you very much, is, Michael. Is the PharmD a doctor of pharmacy, or did I? It is a doctor of pharmacy. Ah, Dr. McFarlane, welcome. Listen, this is every host's dream come true, to have a pharma CEO on the line, but we're not talking about bad pharma today. We're really exploring pharma and, and what it's about. So the first question is that everyone wants to know is, what's Zintria and what do you make? Oh, sure. Well, at the moment, we don't make anything at Zintria. Um, we're working very hard to hopefully have a drug on the market within the next five to seven years. We have a drug compound for the treatment of both cholesterol and type 2 diabetes that we are developing. It's a very interesting little drug compound that was originally discovered in China it has been used there for a number of years as an herbal medication, but more recently, new uses have been discovered through some mechanism of action work. And so we're looking to bring this technology to the Western world, to the U.S. market and Europe. So we're just getting ready really to start all the toxicology studies and the phase one very early studies. It's not going to get recalled like all those toys from Mattel, is it? Boy, we hope not, no. And I don't think so. As a matter of fact, it's interesting, the drug substance itself, and this is the case with many, many drugs substances that are sold in pharmaceuticals, the raw material for the drug, we're actually purchasing from a manufacturer in Japan. Japan has very, very tight manufacturing regulations. Some people will tell you that they're more restrictive than the FDA even. Then that will be imported here to the U.S. where it'll be formulated and made into a final drug product for the, the public. Okay. So before we specifically, I think it's a great story, ask where your idea came from. Let's talk about in general. Where do ideas from drugs come from? Do, do guys go to the Amazon and snip plants or just lay in bed and dream about things like the guy who dreamed about benzene? Where do we get ideas? Actually, you know, the, the thing about snipping plants is actually true. There are a number of people within large pharmaceutical companies and even more so now the smaller biotech companies that are analyzing compounds that have been found in soil samples around the world, plant materials from around the world. So there are uh, many natural sources of um, drug substances that have been discovered over the years. Oftentimes now, what happens is within uh, the pharmaceutical companies, there is a group of what I like to call really some of the most brilliant scientists, and these are sort of the think tank type people, but they are looking at potential mechanisms and receptors and physiologic systems within the body and really designing drugs on the computer that hook up to those receptor sites chemically. And so they can come up with, through computer design, hundreds and hundreds of drug compounds and then model on the computer how these drug compounds might act. And there's a lot of that work going on to narrow down the number of drugs before you start going into the very expensive work of putting the drugs into animals. Well, does it start with an idea like somebody says, let's cure diabetes or let's grow hair 
or something like that? Um, it's a little bit of both. I would say, you know, about half of the drug development out there does come from a company, for example, saying, well, we have an expertise in cardiovascular medicine. And so the scientists that they hire and bring into the company, you know, might have an area of specialization. Uh, you know, one good example now is in antihypertensives. Uh, I believe the first renin inhibitor was just approved. And so there have been scientists who specialize in the renin-angiotensin system, you know, working on different mechanisms and targets within that system for years and years. And so, you know, some scientists that may a long time ago have worked on ACE inhibitors, you know, have moved on or brought new scientists in that have a different area of interest. And so they really just have such a finite area of expertise that they're working on to look for drugs. The other place where a fair number of drug compounds get discovered really is through serendipity. Uh, and one of the best examples I can give you of that uh, that everyone knows about is Viagra. Um, as, as you may or may not know, Viagra was originally being investigated by Pfizer as an antihypertensive medication. And it really didn't work so well as an antihypertensive. But interestingly, many of the study sites, the nurses and um, physicians that were conducting the trials, reported back to Pfizer that their patients were telling them that they suddenly were having an improvement in other areas of their life and, you know, remarked that, you know, some of the men that had previously had a lot of trouble having erections were suddenly able to, you know, have and maintain erections. So, you know, hence became the idea for Viagra. And there have been a lot of drugs over the years that have had that serendipitous uh, type of discovery. Like Proscar and Propecia. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so sometimes a side effect suddenly becomes the treatment. Wow, and the drug companies must go eureka with those two. Yeah, yeah they, you know, it's funny. I think when it first happens, a lot of people scratch their heads and think, well, this is impossible, and there's probably usually a, a, a certain amount of skepticism because it didn't come from some very rational drug design process. It just, it just happened out of the blue. Um, and yet some of those discoveries have been the most um, profitable for companies over the years as well. Sure, well, let's talk about profit. Once, once you get ideas on the table and you get all this think tank going around, does everything get looked at evenly or does money ever enter into the picture where they'll say like, it's just not worth producing that. There's only 10 cases in the world or right. what, what goes on next? Um, you know, what goes on next is probably what goes on in any environment. Just, just as in academia, you have academicians kind of fighting for research money and putting forth their projects as the most important projects. You have sort of the same setup in a pharmaceutical company where scientists, no matter if they're working on a drug compound that might be very innovative but not have a huge patient population are going to go after the development money in the same existence as the other group of scientists that might have a drug that's not as big of an innovation but has greater market potential. And so all of those decisions typically roll up into a committee that's made up of various scientific members, primarily usually scientists, with some sort of representation from a marketing or product planning group and usually upper management. And it's usually a fairly senior level committee making the funding decisions and saying, what are we going to take forward into the clinic? But all the decisions are made based on not just the cost of the program or the eventual sales of the compound, but also the risk. What's our chance of getting this drug to market? Because as you know, there's thousands of drugs have to go into development to bring one drug to market. So if you have a drug that maybe it doesn't have as large of a market potential, but the path to market is, is very clear, then that drug certainly would be put forward by the company because 
you know, there's no reason if you have a, a very good chance of getting approved, you would want to take that through the clinic. Okay. So how about your product? Well, how did you come up with it? Was somebody like smoking Chinese herbs or <laughs> drinking tea and said, oh my God, this is great. Yeah. Well, we'd like to say that actually our product is, is one of those that had a little bit of serendipity to it. As I mentioned, the product is actually called Berberine. And it's a drug that's been around for uh, probably 50 years in China. It's approved in China and in Korea for the treatment of diarrhea. And one of the efforts by the Chinese government, the Chinese government has, very similar to our NIH, they have a large research institute. And part of that research institute was looking at older Chinese medications to see if any of them had other uses. And particularly what they were looking for were antibiotics because infection is a, a huge emerging problem in China. But what they did was run these compounds through um, sort of structure activity relationship computer models and berberine popped out, if you will, as having a potential effect on LDL receptors. And so once they had this information, the first thing they did was file some patents after they did some work, which is very important. And what they did was they investigated this both in the test tube and in animals and ultimately in humans and found that uh, they had actually a quite effective and safe cholesterol-lowering drug on their hands. And during the human trials, the other thing that they found, some of the physicians were reporting back, was that their patients who were taking berberine, who also are diabetic, were having improvements in their blood glucose. So that's sort of the serendipitous part of the drug, and they subsequently did uncover a whole unique mechanism of action for the drug in diabetes. So they were able to file a number of uh, patent claims for berberine around the world, and that's basically what my company has bought from the institute in China is the rights to all of those patents and the rights to develop this drug product for use in the world everywhere except China. They've kept the rights in China. So it's it's a very interesting story, and hopefully, you know, five years from now, I can tell you that we've got a really effective drug coming to market. Wow, it's a great story. It's not quite as romantic as Alexander Fleming almost throwing out the Petri dish. Yeah, <laughs> not quite as cool as that. When a computer does it. Okay, let's take one step further. You're in the company, this big drug company. You've got all those ideas going around. You're starting to talk about it. Where does the internal process go next? Once the different programs are funded, they usually then go into a research pipeline. And so they start working on preclinical studies. And these studies are in animals, and they run the gamut of being toxicology studies. So there's a whole series of very standard toxicology assessments that need to be done to predict whether or not this drug is going to have adverse events in man. And that is where hundreds and hundreds of compounds obviously fall out. Um, the other thing that's done during this time is to really to try and hone in on the mechanism of action of the drug. So there are a lot of basic pharmacology studies that are done during this time. Now the work has gotten very sophisticated. A lot of the systems can be looked at just on a cellular level in vitro rather than having to always do in vivo studies in the animals. For those people out there that, you know, get get worked up from PETA that were unnecessarily subjecting animals to testing. With the exception of the actual tox testing, a lot of the work can be done on a cellular level now to look for the mechanisms of the drug. And then once you've got all your toxicology data and all this mechanism of action defined as well as you can, you put everything you know about the drug into a package called an IND, which is an Investigational New Drug Application and you submit that to the FDA. One kind of funny misnomer is that everybody thinks that the FDA has to approve your IND before you can go into clinical trials in man. And really what the FDA does is they promise you that if you don't hear from them within 30 days, you can go forward with your human studies. But be warned, they can tell you to stop. 
you, you have to make a risk decision at that point. How good do you feel about the drug's safety and about starting the trials before you've heard from FDA, you know, that they won't tell you you're being too aggressive with the first trials that you're doing? Are they taking data continuously then following you? Oh, absolutely. From the moment you file your IND, the FDA then has an ongoing surveillance program on your drug. And essentially, every four months, you file with them uh, a safety update. And I'm not a regulatory person, so I hope I don't get any of these timelines wrong, but it's, it's every four months, there's a safety report that goes in. And at any time during any of the clinical trials, if there's a serious adverse event, and many of your physicians might be familiar with this because these are the same events the FDA tries to get doctors to report to them once a drug's been approved. Um, And these are events, things like that cause a hospitalization, if a cancer should occur, if there's a life-threatening event, those types of things, they have to be reported within 10 days to the FDA from the occurrence of that event. And so the FDA is tracking very tightly the occurrence of any of those events. And again, in early clinical trials, these are the types of things that result in drugs you know, dropping out of the pipeline early on just because they've, they're having serious adverse events that you know, can't be explained well. Well, thank you. Uh, Katie, thanks for being my guest today and sharing the process of the birth and development of a pharmaceutical with us. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. Send your email to xm at reachmd.com, and we truly thank you for listening.